Everyone, this is Arnold Bian with Warm Welcome. Happy Wednesday. Today on Weekly Welcome, where we interview Asian American chef owners, restaurateurs, and founders, we're sitting down with Adrian, who is the co-founder of Wonderlust Creamery here in Los Angeles. Personally, it's it's actually like my favorite ice cream shop. It's the first ice cream shop uh, I tried when I first moved to LA because a lot of people recommended it to me, including my, my brother. And uh, I remember going in the, the middle of COVID because that's when I moved to LA. And it was a welcoming respite from just being caged in, in, in my apartment um, when I first moved out here. And it, it was a really fond memory. Um, and I went to their Venice Beach location. So really cool to come full circle and be able to interview Adrian. And um, where we actually visited her sixth most recent location in Sautel that she just opened. And um, really cool. Uh, they were so hands-on and actually fixing up the shop, getting ready, setting up. And to see the owners be a part of the opening um, is pretty extraordinary, especially because it's their sixth location. Traditionally, when I see uh, the restaurant scale to a sixth location, they have like a dedicated opening team that comes in and kind of takes care of everything from A to Z. But just seeing Adrian and JP um, there at the store that day of the grand opening, it was, it was really awesome. Adrian has a terrific story that we're going to dive into. Also, we're going to touch on Wanderlust Creamery, the name, the concept, how that came to be. And um, we'll circle back with you at the end. Uh, I was born in L.A., raised in the Valley, which is like a popular suburb in Los Angeles. Um, But I was raised like deep, deep Valley, like the edge of the Valley, like right, like I don't know, the next city over would probably be Calabasas or Ventura County in a mainly white neighborhood and just always grew up feeling like kind of like an outsider almost. Yeah, especially around that time too. I feel like, I mean, are there a lot of Asians now, do you think? I feel like there's a lot of Asians now. Um, And, you know, when I was growing up, there were actually a lot of Asians in the Valley, but the certain the specific neighborhood that I spent my young childhood in, it was, I, I could probably count maybe in any given classroom. I was like maybe one of two Asians. Yeah. I mean, how did that shape you as a person? Do you think just like looking back on that? You know what? I, I felt a, really alone and a lot of my experiences growing up, I thought they were so unique to me, but now that, um, you know, our experience is coming into the mainstream you know, and you hear jokes told about it. Um, there's like whole sitcoms written about our experience. Yeah. You know, like, uh, fresh off the boat. Um, and I just, you know, I guess I wasn't, I guess my experience wasn't that unique. I wasn't so alone, you know, um, you know, there people talk one mem- specific memory I have was anytime it was lunchtime. I dreaded lunchtime cause I hated opening my lunch in front of other people. And, you know, my lunch wasn't a bologna sandwich or, you know, crackers with cheese and ham. It was like food that needed to be microwaved in a Tupperware. And I just hated, hated lunchtime because people would clown me on my lunch, you know? And I'd be like, mom, why can't you just pack me, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And she would like, she'd like almost like talk shit to me like ew why would you want to eat that for lunch that's like that's not a meal um and it's so weird like it's so funny that you know now like you know I'll be watching stand-up and people 
talk about that same experience. I'm like, wow, I, I guess it wasn't just me. I thought there was something wrong with me in feeling that way and feeling ashamed. And I guess it wasn't just me. I guess a, a lot of other Asian Americans grew up feeling ashamed as well, probably because they were made to feel that way by their peers. So um, yeah, I think I think it just gave me a different perspective also on on, you know, a lot of things like I would go to the grocery and I'd be like, why isn't any of my culture represented on the shelves? Or, you know, I remember way back when, when matcha lattes were like not popular and people would be like, people would taste like green tea desserts and be like, ew, it tastes like, why is it bitter? It's just, I don't know. And it's just so mainstream now. Like, I just remember. I don't know. I just remember that. And specifically it was Asian things that would excite me because it's funny, like, you know, you're, you're Asian and you would think like, Oh, Asian things don't excite me. But like growing up around all non-Asians, when I saw something Asian, it would excite me. And so I think that's, that was the beginning of, of my, I guess, life's mission to make things that weren't mainstream mainstream mm, yeah 100% that's exactly what you're doing i think just to fast forward a little bit because i know you had a kind of storied career working at uh sbe which is for those that don't know huge huge hospitality group now um hotels restaurants bars you name it and um you were actually like a consultant and mixologist right i'm i'm curious as to how you got there like was was hospitality something that was in your family growing up like how did you arrive at that kind of career early on Throughout high school and college, I always worked in restaurants. You know, I was a hostess. And then I, you know, became a food runner, server. And I just felt like it was, you know, out of all the jobs you can have while working, while going to school, it was like one of the more lucrative side hustles because you make tips, you know, you don't just make minimum wage. Um, and then after I graduated college, I mean, throughout college, I always had this intention, like once I graduate, I'm going to get a quote unquote real job. And I graduated in 2009 and it was like, right. At, you know, the economy was really bad. No one, like there were no jobs. And, uh, you know, I was just like, Oh, I'm just gonna, at that time I, I was bartending at, um, it was interesting. I was bartending at a PF Chang's when I graduated, um, high uh sorry when I graduate college and you know it was good pretty good money and I'm like you know what I I'm just gonna keep bartending it's good money it's it's like it's fun um you know I only work like three or four days a week and I I could probably you know the office job quote-unquote real jobs I was getting offered were paying less than what I was making as a bartender and so I'm like I'm just gonna continue bartending and then um my boyfriend at the time got into law school in San Diego. I moved to San Diego. Um, and then at the time when we, when we lived in San Diego, there was this like whole beer movement, like artisanal beer movement. Um, and so I worked at a couple of breweries, kind of learned um, the science be behind like brewing beer. And to be honest, like I just stayed a bartender just because it was what was convenient and easy at the time and it, it turned into a, a decade long thing. I never intended to be 
stay a bartender for over 10 years, but you know, I, I just, there were no other prospects. Like anytime I tried to leave, I was taking a huge pay cut. And so, um, and then we moved back to LA. Um, and then that's when, sorry, I, I started working for SBE in San Diego. They had a Katsuya in downtown San Diego. When I came back to LA, they transferred me to the Katsuya in Brentwood. You know, I went from making pretty good money to making really good money because I didn't realize Brentwood is where, you know, really wealthy people <laughs> yeah. um, live. And, and then I got from there, I got transferred to Hyde. There's a nightclub on Sunset in West Hollywood. At the time, it was, I don't know if it's open still. I, I doubt it's open still, but it was called Hyde. And I was offered a position as a bartender in the nightclub. And I went from making good money to really good money. Um, and I was like, wow, I, I, you know, like I love, I don't think I, I could ever find anything better for me. Um, and at high, the menu would change like based on the seasons. And at the time, the bar director would like, you know, bounce ideas off of me and everyone that I worked with seemed to just be you know about the nightlife and like oh vodka red bull vodka soda pay me you know and but I was really into like the cocktails working at a bar it's kind of like a liquid kitchen it's a lot like food um coming up with things or obviously there's like a formula and there's like standards to you know there's like um what I would call classics and you kind of base everything off of the classic and I just you know I was like really into participating in in making the menu with the bar director uh, we had a tasting with some of the directors at the time they're like hey we're opening up a hide in Miami would you like to do some of the cocktails for there I was like sure and so they flew me out sourcing there is different from here um and so like to open so I opened um they actually opened a Japanese concept in Miami called K-Ramen. But, you know, I developed a, a cocktail menu for that concept. And then they took some of my um, cocktails that I created for Hyde and they brought it over to the Hyde in Hollandale. I think they had one in another, like they had like three locations in, in Miami. But around that time is when I started tinkering with ice cream too at home. Yeah, the, the, this is the part that I'm so interested in because like here you are pretty like knee deep into this kind of like bartending massologist world, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have this obsession to a degree where you buy like a gelato maker, which, yeah. which you know, it's not cheap. Um, yeah. So what was just the idea there? Were, were you just like super, you just got so obsessed that you wanted to make it yourself? Or uh, I'm just curious as to see how this all kind of panned out for you. I don't know why I just go through phases where I become obsessed with something like obsessions. Um, I guess you could say the cocktail, the mixology thing was an, an obsession at the time. Um, and then I started transitioning to, I don't know why I just became obsessed with ice cream. So there was this ice cream shop. It's still there on Beverly. It's called milk at the time, I guess the Kardashians filmed the episode there or something. And, at the time, it was like anytime you go there, there was a crazy line. At the time, there there was this like 
it was like the beginning of like artisanal ice cream. I guess there was Sweet Rose, uh, Sweet Rose Creamery. Jenny's had first had opened its first location in California, and I think Salt and there was like talks of Salt and Straw coming down from Portland, and I was like, what it, you know, and you know they were talking about how like oh artisanal ice cream is different in you know it's it's not I don't know if you know anything about ice cream but ice cream is like most ice cream you eat is like 30 to 40 percent air actually more than that it's called overrun the air that gets whipped into the whipped into the product but what's different about artisanal ice cream is they whip in less air so you're getting you know denser creamier product they're like there was this whole like change and shift in the ingredients that you use paying attention to every little thing that goes in there and I, I thought that was so cool kind of like kind of like mixology you know like using fresh ingredients instead of like from a bottle I went to milk one time and I was like why what is it about this place because sweet rose creamery was right across the street and they never had a line and I, I looked and I'm like what is it about this place that had that everyone's drawn to and not, you know, other artisanal ice cream shops that are using just as good, you know, high quality ingredients. And I think I had a suspicion it was their flavors. They had, you know, they had like your typical like cereal and milk or like red velvet. But I remember specifically people going there specifically for their Thai tea flavor. And at the time, you know, everyone makes Thai tea ice cream now, but at the time they were like the only ones that made it and people would let go drive, you know, far just to get it. And I was like, I wonder if there's a niche for flavors. I don't know how to say this, but I wonder, I was wondering at the time, is there a niche for flavors that are not white? If you know what I mean, not Eurocentric, not, you know, things that, things that you know the mainstream culture grew up on things that we grew up on um and you know I I had like an inkling to test that that hypothesis and so I was like I you know I went to my boyfriend that same boyfriend that um I followed he went to law school and I went I moved with him to San Diego at the time he was a lawyer I'm like I think I want to start an ice cream business and he's like, uh, you've always, you know, and in the past, I always wanted to start these businesses and he would always, he's a numbers guy and he would look at it and he'd be like, no, that the chances of you being successful at that is very slim to none. But for some reason, when I said ice cream, he thought about it and he's like, you know what? I think, I think that's kind of almost a foolproof business because there's no waste, you know, whatever whatever ice cream you don't sell it stays in a freezer. Um, it's like a low cost product. He's like, I, and he's like, and you can make it in huge, huge runs. Like you don't have to make, it's not like a, a restaurant where you have to cook a dish over and over and over. Um, you just make it one time and it's done. And he's like, you, I think you're onto something here. He's like, why don't you, you know, and at the time, you know, I was tinkering at home and he's like, mate, he's like, maybe let's see how, let's see how deep you get into it. And so I started making ice cream at home. I wasn't impressed by the results I was using with my getting with my Cuisinart ice cream maker. And I'm like, and I started deep diving. I actually a little 
background story. I studied food science in college and I bought a bunch of textbooks on ice cream and I, I realized I can't make good ice cream with a home ice cream maker. So I, I kind of splurged on a, a, at the time it was like $3,000 gelato, Italian gelato maker. I still have it in my kitchen and I kind of, everyone's like, really, you're going to spend that much money on a hobby. And, you know, just to, just to justify it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to start a business, but not really sure that, you know, that's where it was going to go. And that was in November. I, I remember it was like around Thanksgiving, 2014. And by May, April, May of 2015, I was signing a lease. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And, and did you quit your, your job at the time to pursue? No, no, oh, I didn't. You were doing everything um, at the same time. Yeah, I was working at the same time. And, it, you know, that if anyone's listening, that's thinking of, you know, having a job while you go to school, you should be a bartender because I was, I was making, you know, I didn't really have to take off any time because I, I only worked three nights a week. So I would like do stuff for the ice cream shop during the day and then, you know, clock oh in at work at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. work for a couple hours and you know I was making like I said pretty decent money and um and so yeah that's how Wanderlust started we we actually found my my boyfriend found uh, an abandoned cold stones that had been vacant for eight years and um the landlord was just desperate to get anyone in because usually when you take over a space that's already permitted and has equipment, they, they charge you key money. But since this was vacant for eight years, the landlord was just desperate to get anyone in and they just hand, they, they gave it everything to me for free. They're like, just pay the first month's rent, last month's rent, and you can have everything in here. And it, it had a Italian gelato maker, a $35,000 gelato maker, had all the equipment, um, had the dipping cap, the, you know, the ice cream case. I know I came, I, I feel like I came up really big on that space, but um, to this day, that's where we still make everything. I think we replaced, I think that gelato case that it came with lasted us four years. That's incredible. And we, we yeah, we just got a new ice cream case. I, I believe it was like last year or 2020. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, gel, the gelato maker, it came with it, it, finally gave out I think in 2019 but I mean it gave us a huge financial head start I feel wow yeah because this was complete bootstrap right yes wow that's really honestly that's super impressive yeah. <laughs> and like scary at the same time okay so you've signed the space the name is awesome like how did you come with the name and, and just like the overall feel and look of the brand um you know so we had a family friend who does branding um and she, I, you know, I made her a couple samples of ice cream. We, we had her over for dinner. I made her a bunch of different ice cream flavors. And she was like, well, what are you going to call your ice cream shop? And at the time, I was going to call it something really lame. What, 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 what is it going to be? It was going to be called uh, the French word for milk. Oh, gotcha. L-A-I-T. I gotcha. And she's like, uh, she's like, like. And I forgot what flavors I made her. I think I made her like a burnt honey hojicha, like a, like, you know, obviously not stand, not your standard flavors. Like these were just like flavors that 
you couldn't find anywhere. And she was like, doesn't the name doesn't really match your flavors. She's like, what, what inspires you? And I said, I don't know. I just shrugged. I was like, I don't know my wanderlust. And she's like, then you should call it wanderlust creamery. And I said, okay. She's like, and maybe you should make it so that it's like flavors inspired by, you know, places you wanderlust for. And I said, Oh, good idea. And that's, that's how Wanderlust Creamery came about. Wow. Okay. That is a great story. Um, so you open, did you do well, like right away, do you think, or did that take some time? Okay. So actually I'm really surprised. I, honestly, I feel like this is all pure luck, but we opened and it was when we opened, it was like line out the door the whole really? time. Wow. Since it was, yeah, it was like from, and it was so, I want to say like that first weekend was so successful that, so my boyfriend who, you know, was a lawyer going to court, he had court early, early in the morning on Monday uh-huh. and we had been, we had been making ice cream, you know, we were in the shop, um, opening weekend serving ice cream. And at the end of, you know, w- when we closed Sunday night, we were out of ice cream. So wow. we stayed until like 3 a.m. making ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to be in where this this location is in, in Tarzana. And he had to be in Marina Del Rey, I think, at 8 a.m. for court. Um, and so, you know, when he left the house, he's like, OK, I'll see you after work. I'll, I'll meet you at the shop. I'm like, OK. So I, I got up, went to went to the shop and he's standing there inside shop in his suit like I thought you're supposed to be at court he's like I quit I was like what do you mean you quit and he's like I don't know I just I just have a feeling about this I I quit and so now he's my partner that's JP that's how I feel like it wasn't I wouldn't say it was like completely successful but the fact that you know we have no business experience we had no business I have no experience in marketing or anything like that. I was just like posting stuff on Instagram and I don't know. And at the time there was no such thing as Facebook ads or Google ads. Um, And I didn't know anyone in the food industry other than SBE, but I I didn't even actually tell them about this. Um, And I, you know, I was just like, wow, we managed to get that many people through our door. we must be doing something right. And we, you know, I, he felt like he, it would be irresponsible for, of him not to put two feet in. Um, and so, but ironically, I still kept my, my job bartending for over a year after yeah. we opened. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you can quit, but I'm going to keep my, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's awesome. I mean, to me, I feel there's a few things that you guys do so well. Um, so I want to touch on those. I think social media for one. And then number two is just the flavors. Like I've, I've always been intrigued about your flavor options and the fact that it rotates monthly. Um, how, how, okay. How do you do that? Like, I'm just, how do you source and scale these flavors? Cause I feel like these ingredients are really difficult to get, especially the Asian ones. Yes, they are very difficult. So I feel like in the beginning, I could make any flavor I wanted because we're, we weren't making that many. You know, we would do like, I remember back then we were doing 
eight gallon, our recipes were eight gallons at a time. And, you know, if I wanted to make, I don't know, let's say like a salted egg flavor, I could just go to the Asian market and buy salted eggs enough for eight gallons, no problem. But now that we're doing, you know, for example, if I wanted to do a seasonal flavor for a month, I would have to make minimum 200 gallons of that. And so I, I can't just go to the Asian market and buy, they're not going to have that. You know, I, even if I clean them out, that's still not enough for 200 gallons. So a lot of it nowadays is a lot of planning. Um, we plan our menu months ahead of time to make sure, especially with the way supply chain is right now, it's like a nightmare. We want to make sure we have, we can source ingredient to make enough. Um, a lot of it also is repeats. So if a flavor does very well, if a seasonal flavor does very well, we, and we plan to bring it back again, I'll just source enough for two months, you know, and we'll, we'll warehouse the ingredient. We have a huge warehouse in Reseda with like the big walk-in freezer. And we'll just, I'll, you know, let's say I'm like, oh, I'm going to make, for example, we had a mango steam flavor last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we served it in June or July and I, I sourced it in January. Wow. That's just, just how much time you need, huh? Yeah. I had to source it in January and it took like six to eight weeks to actually receive it. And I had to, and I decided, you know, it's so much drama to source this. I'm going to, we're going to make this twice. So I bought enough for two runs and it, you know, froze it. Um, so a lot of it is, I feel like as the company's grown, it's not as fun anymore. You know, I can't make things on the fly. I can't like, you know, whatever my heart desired I could make. Now it's like, well, hold on. Who, where are you going to get the ingredients? How long is it going to take to get it? Do we have the space to store it? Mm. It's a lot. Yeah. It's definitely a lot. But now it's not just that one store, that humble little store. It's six locations, right? Yeah. And shipping nationwide. So it's just like a different kind of playing field um, yeah i mean so in in addition to these the sourcing that you're doing which i honestly i don't even know any other like ice cream creamery anyone doing it at the, at the way you're doing it but social media is also something i feel like is super important um, to you guys and your brand and uh i mean the photos are amazing so was that something that was a big focus for you when you guys started or ever since we opened i i've been doing the social media myself oh personally uh-huh yeah and i feel like I felt like as, as soon as we started seeing su- some success, I realized that a lot of people come in solely based on what your Instagram looks like. That's kind of, yeah, especially nowadays. Yeah. Now. Um, and so sometimes I would even plan a picture before the flavor. Mm. Sometimes I would be like, well, what, you know, in my head, like, oh, what's a, I kind of think of. I kind of think of ice cream as like editor, like editorial magazine. Hey, right, like how right. can you make it like stylish and and not just like a regular like cone in a hand in a hand with a scoop on top of the how cone? many That's, how many photos could you get of that right? So. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times too, I'll I'll think of the photo before I think of the flavor. Mm. I'll base the flavor based on like what I think the photo might look like. Mm. Um, but yeah, we work with a photographer. Um, I, I like source all the props. I 
I imagine what the picture is going to look like. I stage the photo and then I have him take the photograph. Um, and then we'll, sometimes he'll post edit it, but a lot of times I'll, I'll post edit it. It's a lot of work actually. Um, yeah. And looks like it. <laughs> it's, it's so much work, but I feel like that's what, uh, you know, that's like a huge component to our success. I feel like, um, but I must say that as I've gotten, as you know, we've progressed in this business, the game has changed so much. Mm. And I feel like now in 2022, so our social, social media is not our strong suit anymore. Mm. That's something I do want to work on. Obviously, you know that the format has changed. It's like the algorithm fa- favors video. Um, and it seems as if the more editorial styled things don't do as well as the raw people like raw low qual not low quality but, yeah but you know, like low quality <laughs> yeah it, it's moving towards that you know I agree I totally agree with that that's something I have to relearn because I feel like our, our business was founded on that formula mm. but that formula doesn't work anymore okay well um, just take a little back, like 2019, by 2019, you had six locations, right? You had a very successful Lunar New Year flavor launch with the White Rabbit, which I feel like was a great ripple effect for you. And then fast forward, March 2020, which is obviously the beginning of what what we're still in right now with COVID. How was it like for you? Because I did read that you were able to retain all your staff and um, there was a big transition to nationwide shipping. So would love to hear a little bit about your experience with COVID early on. Yeah, so um, March, I feel like we opened that year with like, I, re- I, I specifically remember it was like 80 something degrees in January of 2020. And and then I remember our sales being insane for, for January. Cause usually like December, January, February, it's like a little slow. But I remember doing like summer numbers and I remember, you know, JP talking to JP, like, holy shit, we're going to, we're going to kill murder in this year. Yeah. Yeah, We're going to like slay. (laughs) And then, and we, we signed a lease for a, our, a new location and we were in the process of building it out and we were going to open it in March, like mid March, we were going to open and we were getting free rent during the build out. And as soon as we opened, the landlord was like, I'm going to start charging you rent. And we're like, okay, we're ready to open. We're ready to go. It's going to be mid-March. And then the pandemic happened. And I just remember everything just coming to a halt. Like, it was like, just out of nowhere, just like literally, we weren't even, our sales for a day weren't even like covering the electricity, you know, and the labor. And it was just, and we were thinking about like, oh, should we stay open? I don't know. Like, you know, is it worth it? And so we kind of like pushed this whole thing, like just come in and get pints. Um, and so March through April, we were kind of like hanging on by a thread. Um, but I feel like at the end of April, mm-hmm. people kind of got a little like over staying home. Yeah. Right. People started getting brave. Like, I'm just going to take my chance, whatever. I'm going to, I'm just going to go to the grocery or I'm going to go get takeout. Yeah. And we were operating 
a lot like a grocery store. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I'm, I'm so lucky that we're, we have a business that it's kind of like a small luxury almost. I feel like people were like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to get fat (laughs) or like, or fuck it. Everyone I knew was like, fuck it. I'm just going to get drunk at home or fuck it. I'm just going to get stoned and like eat eat whatever I want and net, you know, binge on Netflix. And so uh-huh. we were lucky in that people were just coming in and buying pints mm. and, and to incentivize people to buy more. We were like, well, if you know, you before this, our pricing was like, okay, it's like $10 for a pint. Yeah. But then we were like, okay, if you buy, if you buy six, it's like $8 for a pint. Mm-hmm. And so people were coming in and instead of spending, you know, $5 on a scoop of ice cream, they were coming in and dropping like $60 on pints. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we implemented that, I feel like our sales were kind of back to what they would have been, but it was even better because it was like less volume. Right. So it was like, we were getting, we were doing this almost the same amount of sales, but with like a third of the labor. Yeah. That's when we decided, you know, everyone's at home. And I noticed our engagement on social media was like through the roof. And I, I think it was because everyone was at home. Right. Right. So we're like, we should just ship our pints nationwide. Oh, or sorry, not back then we weren't shipping pints nationwide yet. We were just shipping in California because we didn't have a, a good shipping contract yet, but yeah, we should just ship, ship, throughout California. And so we kind of shotgun hired someone to build a a Shopify website for us. And, and we just like literally in in two weeks launched an online store. And my hypothesis was correct. Like people were just at home bored on their phone, on social media all day. And, and, you know, we would do drops where it's like, okay, um, you know, we're going to drop 3000 pints into the online store. Uh-huh. And we're going to drop it at this time on this date. And uh-huh. we would announce it to our social media followers. And literally we would like sell out in three minutes. That's so crazy. That's so- yeah. And I, it, it's not, it's definitely, and you can talk to anyone with an e-commerce business. It's definitely not like that anymore. Right, right, right. Which, which sucks. But, you know, I feel like that definitely saved us in so many ways. We were able to, keep all of our kitchen staff. Um, we actually took on a bunch of other staff from a, a competing ice cream company. Incredible. Incredible. Um, Cause they closed down their kitchen mm-hmm. and yeah, but uh, sadly, unfortunately the downside to that is we, we, you know, we're like, Oh my God, this is like a whole untapped side of the business. We should invest more in, in e-commerce. And so we like, invested so much money and time into to be developing like a a much bigger e-commerce side of our business but as soon as we finished that I feel like the world opened up and nobody really cares anymore like nobody's buying as it's it's not even close to what it was in 2020 which is I mean it saved us but I don't think it's as good as 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 I had originally thought yeah. I mean, it's like a moving target right now. So it's just like, now you got to re strategize and um, focus on other aspects of the business. Right. Yeah. But we, we definitely still do um, ship nationwide, although it's not as crazy as it was. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still incredible. You're doing it like in-house, like you're not using gold belly or anything, right? Yeah, we're doing it all in-house. Um, we're actually moving to, um, we're still going to do it in-house, but we're hiring a, a, like a, a third-party fulfillment. Sure, sure, sure. Like a 3PL. Fulfill- yeah, 3PL um, to offer so that we can offer um, our shipping can be like as low as our competitors. Nice. Yeah, but I do miss those days where, you know, it was just like, we have 600 orders to fulfill today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's been, oh my gosh, coming up on seven years since you opened this mm-hmm. business. You have kids now. You have six yeah. locations. Talk to me about just, I, and I feel like mo- I, I want to know this as a fellow you know, founder, business owner, and for anyone listening, how do you make that transition? Because you seem like the type of personality that like you need to have your hands in everything. You know what I mean? Like, how did you make that transition from making every single scoop to like just delegating now? Cause that, I think that is a, so hard to do. Honestly, I feel like had I not had kids, you probably wouldn't have I done would that. Still, yeah. I would still <laughs> be in the kitchen making ice cream. We would probably only have two locations, but I feel like that was a blessing in disguise having kids. Yeah. Um, at the time I was not, you know, on a side note, none of my kids were planned. <laughs> um, and at the time we were like, oh no, this is the end of us. Like this is, we're done. Like we're done. We're not going to, you know, like, cause we were like right before we got pregnant the first time we were like, oh my God, we're going to, we're going to grow this to national scale. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like looking back, had we not had kids, we, we would still be like, in it like yeah we wouldn't have been able to step away and no reason to step away really right mm -hmm. and see things from the outside and 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 delegate and trust people yeah um and so i think that's a blessing in disguise and i also we still have our hands in things a lot but you know as you grow to um with employees it's i feel like you can't be the bad cop and the owner. Mm. Um, so, you know, we had to put people in place to kind of be, you know, manager management and like directors in place to kind of, I think they're more capable of managing better just because as a business, you know how it is as a business owner, you take everything personally when it comes to your business. This is so true. This is It's your baby, you know, but, and, and sometimes that it's not good for, for decision-making. Yep. Yep. Um, and taking action. And I feel like when you remove yourself from certain roles, Mm. it's, it's better Mm. because that way, the right decision can be made without, you know, your feelings getting involved, you know, your, I want to say, how do I say this? Like your pride, I guess, because anything that has to do with your business, you you take it personally. And so I I think um, that's, that's one way to manage your business better is to put someone else in charge. Yeah. Well, that, that is hard to do. So I, I honestly congratulate you for that. Cause that's a big step. Um, just one last question for you, since, you know, we're still in Q1 where we're still at kind of the early side of 2022. I know you said you were going to murder 2020. 
Yeah. Um, what are your what are you looking forward to this year and, and just like beyond what are your focuses we're finally opening a location in in a neighborhood that i've always wanted to open in awesome i don't know if you know where uh sautel is sautel oh, you right there you're opening a sautel yes amazing opening on sautel i've always always wanted to open there it's been like our ever since we've opened one had wanderlust you know like oh if only we can get on sautel it's oh, been like list seven years in the making wow. um so we plan on opening that in in a few weeks um we have a lease signed for a location our first location outside of los angeles i can't say wow. where yet but it's 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 in california um and I don't know, just, just, I guess surviving it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm grateful to have survived COVID. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling it's going to there, you know, there's going to be more difficult times ahead, yeah, especially with yeah. mm-hmm. inflation. And, um, I've, I know so many businesses that have closed, um, and I'm just grateful to still be standing, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and just basically growing, growing our team. Um, we're so lucky to have such an amazing team. Um, we actually took on, we took on another famous chef, um, and so he's helping me in the kitchen. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lassa. Lassa, like Lassa, yeah. like it used to be Lasita, right? Yeah, but yeah, originally yeah. it was Lassa. So uh-huh. the chef. Chad Valencia, we were so um, lucky to have him on our um, on our team. Um, so he's part of our team now, and he actually helps me a lot in the kitchen with oh, awesome. conceptualizing flavors. We bounce ideas off each other. He has saved my ass so many times when I'm about to make a big mistake. Um, <laughs> um, and I feel like that's a blessing that's come our way through COVID as well. Right. Um, I guess, you know, COVID was a hard on a lot of businesses and, and, um, I think it, it gave a lot of people time to reevaluate what they really want, mm-hmm. um, and step back. And so, um, yeah, we have him on our team. Yeah. I'm just so lucky to have the team we have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And your, and your kids are going to come up and they're going to help you. <laughs> oh, hopefully. I'm, I'm just waiting I'm already training the first one to wash dishes. Oh man. Well, Hey, you are amazing. I'm a big fan of you and Wonderlust and what you're trying to do. And, um, you're really paving the way for a lot of other Asian owned businesses. And, um, I think you're like a great example that like, we just have to embrace our Asian heritage and, and you know what, there's, there's support around it. So keep crushing it and, and just big fan, big fan. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Weekly Welcome. Special thanks to Adrian for having me and Calvin at your store on grand opening day. It was awesome to see you behind the scenes. And um, I heard there was a crazy line that day. So hopefully um, that continues. I can't wait for all the other stores that you have up your sleeve. I know you're working hard to get open a couple of locations uh, this year. So best of luck to you. And um yeah, I am definitely going to make my way out again soon for uh, an ice cream refill. So if you haven't been, definitely go check it out. I think it is arguably the best ice cream shop right now in Los Angeles. So please make your way there and try all their amazing flavors. And if you're not in LA, you can get it delivered. 
through their website. Thanks. We'll see you next time on Weekly Welcome.